This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. My name is John Dunn. This is the Best Friends Podcast. Today is February the 3rd. Thank you for tuning in to what is going to be one of the cutest episodes of the year. Yes, the unmistakable sound of teeny tiny kittens. And while that is arguably one of the most adorable sounds in the world, for many in animal welfare, it can also be a dreaded sound, especially when those two or three little mews become an almost deafening cacophony during kitten season. Kitten season is fast approaching, although I know that for many of you who live below a certain latitude, it's a season that never truly ends. You know, in LA, we say that kitten season is roughly from January 1st to December 31st. <laughs> and yeah, it's not it's not uncommon to have newborn kittens brought into the shelter every single day of the year. Uh, we get a little bit of a lull in January and February, but that really just depends on on the weather. Um, and if there is a single day in LA that we don't see a kitten, we're like, it is this one day the end of kitten season, and it's going to start again tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. That's Brittany Sorgenstein. She's the executive director of Best Friends Los Angeles. Out of the Best Friends Pet Adoption Center in the Mission Hills neighborhood, this year, Brittany says they're expecting to care for about 3,000 kittens. A dedicated kitten nursery has been a staple of that facility since 2012. Over a nine-year span from that year to 2021, they rescued nearly 22,000 kittens. That's a lot. But that's the reality in LA and a lot of other places. So this week, Best Friends launched a nationwide kitten foster campaign that is set to run over the next few months. The TV, radio, print, billboard, digital ads asking the public to step up and foster these adorable but also very vulnerable animals in shelters. The call to action is to sign up to become a foster parent, but it's also asking the public to get involved now, before their local shelter is at a crisis point. You know, once you're already up to your eyeballs and kittens, it might be a little bit too late to figure out how to organize and scale up your foster program. So any member of the public who signs up to foster through the campaign will then be connected to one of our local network partners. If you are not a network partner, no time better than right now to sign up. Check out the link in the show notes on your podcast player, or you can go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. Partners will also receive a robust marketing toolkit that will help you in your own recruiting efforts. Again, link in the show notes of your player for full details on the promotion. So as kitten season creeps up, we wanted to talk to the now seasoned pros in LA. How have they managed to save so many over the years? And what are they doing that can help you take your kitten life-saving to the next level? And as you will hear, it's volunteers. They play a huge role in how they've been able to scale this program up. And in just a bit, you will hear from one of the dedicated volunteers who is part of a mentorship team has helped to transform the way LA cares for kittens. But first, more from my interview with Brittany Sorgenstein, the executive director of Best Friends Los Angeles. Uh, so we help roughly 3,000 kittens every year through Los Angeles, and that is in you know a, a number of different ways, whether it's intervention or foster, uh, what we see coming through our nursery on site. Yeah, so about 3,000. Brittany, one of my favorite places to be 
anywhere on planet Earth is a kitten nursery. Uh, I also know, you know, for a lot of organizations, a kitten nursery is not going to be something that's attainable. You know, it's not an inexpensive program, very resource heavy. Can you talk, though, about the setup currently that you have for kittens in L.A.? We've really changed, I guess, what the quote unquote nursery is. It's more of the kitten care center now. And it's just a place where kittens can land to get, you know, an intake exam, get a a once over, and then they're sent out to foster. So, you know, it was not uh, sustainable for us to have an an overnight nursery or anything like that. You know, the best place for kittens to be if, if they're not with their mom is in a foster home until they're ready to be adopted. One of the things I love about kitten nurseries is this like just environment you have these wonderful like loving volunteers in uh in the nursery their scrubs are on everybody's feeding these kittens it's like being in a neonatal ward in a hospital it's so great um but if i caught that correctly what you're saying is the focus is not on them being in that nursery unless they really have to be it's a care center so you've transitioned away from that what was that transition like it was a big deal when we made that change And so what we actually ended up doing was creating some different volunteer shifts for them to be able to still get get their hands on those adorable kittens, but in a way that was going to be, you know, meaningful. And so we created foster mentorships for them to be a part of. We asked them to be a part of the intake process. So they could still be in the the kitten care center, but just helping to move the kittens out more quickly. And we were able to turn, you know, a lot of our really dedicated nursery volunteers into fosters or foster mentors. How many foster homes do you have at any one time in LA? Oh, a lot. (laughs) We have, I mean, we have our, you know, super dedicated fosters that are, it's just a revolving door. You know, when their kittens are ready to be adopted, they'll drop them off and and take more. Um, But we onboard new fosters every year. And, you know, the way that we've been able to do it is it, it's a great uh, volunteer opportunity if you don't have a foster program or if you're trying to build up your foster program, you know, giving volunteers kind of a piece of that is a big opportunity. And it's something that, you know, volunteers are there because they want to help. And sometimes being able to guide them in where we need the help, you know, is, is the best thing for both the organization and for the volunteer. What we've been able to do is really just set up a table out front or in the lobby. And when people, you know, come in, especially during the summer, talking to them about fostering and being able to get them set up on the spot to take home kittens, uh, you know, if they're if they're interested in doing it. And that's really been the biggest thing for us is removing those barriers. Uh, You know, We obviously do an amazing job caring for kittens, but even at our, you know, our organization, our rescue, kittens can get sick. You know, it's not the best place for them. The best place is is to be in a home. Um, And so, yeah, just being able to turn people into fosters as soon as as they come in has been really helpful for us. So volunteers play this big role in the management of your kitten foster program. And it's something that is so repeatable, really, for any organization. It's so simple. Uh, Help me understand, how does this work? So we currently have, um, you know, foster and volunteer employees or community engagement department. But really, when it comes to onboarding new 
fosters, our foster mentorship program takes uh, a huge part of that. And they are on site helping to onboard new fosters. They give them out their cell phone number, email, whatever it is to be able to be there for them when they have questions or, you know, just need a little bit of support. And that has been really helpful. Our foster mentors are, they're protective of their program. You know, we were going to onboard some more and some of them were like, no, we don't get enough shifts as it is. So we got this, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. So it's been really, really helpful. That's a big thing though, to be able to turn over elements of a really important program like that to a volunteer. Yeah. And you know, it is. And I think at first it was, it was a bit of a challenge, but knowing, you know, that we do have the staff members there just in case, but there's so much work to be done. And this was a way that we could, you know, really share, share that workload and to give the volunteers an opportunity to still be really impactful with something that they love doing. Nearly 22,000 kittens cared for over a nine-year span. You've been able to shift that program over the years, right? Find efficiencies, you know, engaging volunteers, but you're still expecting 3,000 kittens this year. So the numbers of kittens in need of help isn't going down, what do you think needs to happen in order to reduce that number for you in LA? Well, you know, I think in LA specifically, it was tough because we had the the uh, injunction for so long and we were still doing tons and tons of kitten work. Um, and so I think it's really about also educating the public that the safest place for a kitten is with its mom. And, you know, when people come in with a shoebox of, of kittens, they're doing it because they want to help. You know, they think that they're doing the right thing. They see kittens outside and they think, you know, that we're going to take them to the shelter and they're going to be safe. And I think it's really about getting in touch with those people before they enter the shelter and whether that's by communicating them to them via social media, blogs, whatever that is, or setting up a table right outside and, and intervening that way. And it's just explaining to them, you know, mom was maybe getting some food for the kittens and, you know, other things that, that we can do. And then really turning those people into those found fosters. I don't think we can reinforce enough the point about asking people for help, right? I mean, people that come in, whether it's kittens or otherwise, they walk into the shelter, they found an animal that needed help or they felt like needed help. They took time out of their day, out of their life, brought the animal into the shelter. That's a good Samaritan, right? They've done amazing things. And yes, you could say goodbye to them at that point and be done with it. But if that person's willing to do what they did, chances are they're willing to do more. So really thank them, but don't let them leave without asking to go to that next step, you know, and actually foster. The best feeling is when people come in with that box of kittens and being able to actually turn them into fosters, it's amazing. It, it really is because, you know, for the longest time, we were not able to, to talk very openly about community cats and, and kittens. And we had one guy actually that, is now a repeat foster, but he came in twice in one day with one kitten in, in each box. And, you know, the first time we, we talked to him and um, he said that he had found this kitten. I think he worked at uh, one of the uh, mechanic shops down the street. And, you know, we told him, 
everything that we could about, about kittens. And he's like, I got to, you know, I'm going back to work. I got to run. And then at the end of the day, he came back with another one, probably the same litter. And we were actually able to turn him into a foster. We said, you know, just give us a, a couple of days. They were new, they were new babies. And we said, if you're able to give us a couple of days, we can find another foster home if you're not able to take them. And he did it. He kept them, I think, for four days. We were able to contact one of our fosters on deck and come back to the center. And he's actually been back a couple of times now um, and fostered for us. So, you know, even if it's not a two week or a three week or five week foster, just being able to get someone to hold on to them for a couple of days while you do, you know, a bunch of work in the background is really helpful. A couple of days. Not the most ideal length for a foster engagement, right? But it's still two days. You know, no one's saying just throw kittens at anyone and everyone recklessly, but that Good Samaritan providing that care for 48 hours, you know, can literally be the difference between life and death in a lot of communities. Absolutely. And I think that that was, you know, part of the the nitty gritty when we were talking to our nursery volunteers and our, you know, and our staff, it was the the main concern that was brought up was if you know well if the kittens aren't here with us in the nursery they're going to get sick or they're going you know they're not going to make it and we had to really set out to change those minds you know and and explain to people that the nursery is not a place for kittens to stay you know they can absolutely get sick we are still a shelter type environment you know, and if we're able to teach people those skills and they're willing to learn, we should absolutely do that. So that shift, getting them out of the nursery, you know, getting them into foster homes, you did get pushback about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I think the the thought was that kittens were going to come in and we would be so quick to rush them back out that we wouldn't check to make sure that they were healthy um, or sometimes, you know, it it takes a couple of days for something to to set in or or pop positive. And I think, you know, being able to tell people the chance of them getting sick within three days in the nursery versus the chance of them getting sick within three days in a home is very different. They're much more likely to get sick when they're on site with a bunch of other kittens and a bunch of other animals, you know, coming in and out. And a bunch of other people, you know, coming in and out of the nursery or of the shelter than they are in a home with one or two people taking care of them. What's the best piece of advice then you have for shelters and rescues? So I think one of the things that a lot of shelters or rescues um, or other groups will say is, well, of course, best friends can do it. You know, they're huge and they have all of these supporters um, and they have the, the resources to be able to hand out the supplies. And, you know, what I say to people is don't be afraid to ask for help. The community, you would be very surprised at how much they will step up if you just tell them what you need. You know, a lot of community members, and I say this from personal experience prior to getting involved in the animal welfare world, we don't know what we don't know. You know, and if you ask someone for help, you would be really surprised at, at how much they're willing to help. And so what we do is in March, prior to the, the big part of kitten season, is we throw a kitten shower. So, you know, similar to a baby shower, we know the kittens are coming. We want to throw a, a kitten shower. 
and we ask for donations. And that's where we get a lot of the stuff that we're able to hand out to fosters uh, when they come in. So, you know, the last couple of years, obviously it's been virtual, but years prior, we set up a little area, you know, either in the nursery or in one of our conference rooms or something like that outside. And we have a little celebration and we ask people, you know, for items from our wish list. And then we're able to create these little kitten kits um, and send those home with fosters. And it's been really successful. We get KMR, we get warming pads, we get bottles, all kinds of stuff that we're able to then put out into the community. Ask for help. As Brittany said, help with kittens comes in many forms. Donors who generously support you, the foster parents who care for the kittens, and in LA, a group of extra dedicated volunteers play a big role in the management of the program itself as foster mentors. Uh, my name is Ronko Fukuda, and I am a volunteer for Best Friends here in Los Angeles. It was 2017 that I first decided to foster, and so I went to an info session at Best Friends to hear all about it. And I, I think I came back with a little chihuahua, uh, a hospice chihuahua, who ended up not being hospice at all, which then led to me finding out more about kittens and as you may know, you know, Best Friends in Los Angeles has a 24-hour kitten nursery. And even though I am a half an hour drive away from the location of Mission Hills, uh, I realized that the nursery is 24 hours. And so if I volunteer in the middle of the night, I don't hit that you know, infamous traffic that we have here in Los Angeles. I usually did the uh, 10 to 12 o'clock shift at night, which I think is where I learned most of my kitten raising skills. You know, I've met other kitten volunteers. Um, and in 2020, uh, an idea was brought forth and, and I got to sort of brainstorm with the staff at Best Friends, the volunteer coordinators and such to create this um, mentor line. So kitten mentor team. They put a call out to all longtime fosters long-time fosters of kittens to say who wants to be a mentor to help other newer mentors with, you know, raising their kittens. It, it sounded like a really simple way to build a community, if you will, because I will admit from the time that I started fostering kittens to the time I discovered and started joining the nursery, I was just doing what I could, like, you know, Googling stuff um, and, um, you know, so I, I look back at those kittens that I raised, the first couple of kittens I raised, and I go, oh, I was lucky that they were healthy <laughs> because kittens are very, very fragile. But information was not all that readily available. And, you know, there was two foster um, staff for the hundreds of kittens that are out there being fostered. And so I'm not going to go to them and, you know, ask them for little, little things of advice. Um, and so when this idea came aboard, uh, I was really excited because for, for multiple reasons. One is I love talking about kittens. And it's the six of us uh, that are mentors here in L.A. And I think we share that in common. I didn't even know all six of them, but we have now created our little team and we each take shifts uh, throughout the day to answer questions but we also talk amongst each other we share our foster stories with each other or our current fosters with each other we might reminisce about you know last year was the year of constipation this is the year of the diarrhea 
because we can start to really see some themes or, or trends that are happening with the kittens that we're rescuing every year. Here in LA, you know, we easily rescue over 2,000, close to 3,000 kittens per season. And so for us to be able to be, to have a phone line where fosters can call in and ask their questions of, oh my goodness, my kitten just had the runs, what should I do? Or do I have the right supplies for this? Or, hey, I think I found somebody who wants to adopt my kitten now, what's my next step? All of those things are fairly simple questions that we can answer for them without having to bother the foster team, right? And of course, there are plenty of questions that come up that require the staff. And so we are also connected very, very closely with on-site staff to be able to hand off those questions that need special care. But I would say 80% of callers, I'm just, you know, that's my assumption, but um, 80% of those callers, one, have a simple question or a question that we have answers to. And two, I think they just, you know, everybody feels better when you get to ask the stupid questions, if you will, the uh, quote unquote stupid questions um, and or simple questions because it's pretty isolating to otherwise. You don't know, your friends have never fostered a kitten before. Who else can you talk to? And so the six of us, uh, we split the line. It's open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. And we have a spreadsheet where we sign up to take two-hour shifts. And we use technology here. So this was set up by best friends for us. uh, But we use a spreadsheet that's on the cloud. So all of us are logging every call so that we have, you know, we know if somebody's calling back to follow up from a question from the day before We can just look through the spreadsheet and see what's going on. We are using Google Voice for the calls. um, And so I'm able to take it from my cell phone or from my laptop. Over time, we definitely, the six of us, worked together to streamline this process um, so that over time it became very smooth. Sometimes I get questions I don't know the answer to, so I go to them first. Uh, We have a group text going on to say, hey, anybody have any experience with mama cat with six babies? And this is the question. The six of us are pretty uh, diverse enough in our our, um, experience that we are able to handle most questions. and yeah, and then just talk of, talk to the fosters about their experience, our experience. And uh, our goal is to have every one of them feel a little better uh, by the time we're done with the call. So it's such a vital role you play for so many kittens and their foster parents. It's a big job. You said there are, I think, six of you who manage that phone line. You've got a career of your own. Why do you do this? I think that, you know, first and foremost, I love talking about kittens. And I love talking about helping kittens get you know grow and get healthy and so it doesn't feel like a job job to me where where i get to not only foster my own kittens but then get to help with other people's foster kittens right and it's google voice so it's a phone line but you can also text and so i'm often like can you send me a picture of those foster kittens right i want to see who we're talking about and so it, it doesn't feel like it is a grueling job, you know, that requires pay. I also, from my day job and just the way I like to work, I think operations and efficiency in operations is very, uh, I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And so knowing that a good chunk of callers have questions that do not require a staff member to answer, because we, we know, like, again, I learned in the nursery and, and through fostering, 
that pumpkin works for diarrhea. It actually works for constipation too. But if you've never fostered an animal before, you just don't know the miracle of pumpkins. And that answer alone, you know, helps a lot of kittens out there and their fosters to get over that uh, tummy problem. It doesn't require a paid staff member to put that information out there. And I do think that Best Friends does a good job of writing the information, having it on the website, having it in social media, having communicating it out in different ways. But sometimes you just want to talk to somebody especially if you're feeling nervous about the situation with your kitten. It's nice to have a phone number to call or text. And I'm, I'm here for that. I'm excited to, to help with that. And just being able to sort of be a, you know, be a shoulder to cry on if it's really hard and or need, I can be a cheerleader for you if you need, you know, encouragement. Or I can be your assistant for you if you need help navigating the calendar and booking an appointment and understanding the process. All of that is is leading to saving more kittens, and 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 that's that's my passion. And so I have I have um, great pride in being able to do this job. You've been through a couple of kitten seasons already now as a mentor. So I'm curious what advice you, as a volunteer, have for organizations, for shelters that maybe are considering doing something like this? If you can't tell, I'm just, you know, talking about kittens is fun. Uh, Talking about the struggles with raising kittens is something that if you are a long-term foster, you want to do. And so capitalize on that, right? They use us as volunteers to spread information. I do recommend that there be some certain, uh, a booklet of information so that we're all giving the same advice. Uh, that advice changes over time. And so the volunteer coordinator is very good about, hey, you know, to tell all six of us, hey, this is a new way we're doing X, Y, and Z. Please make sure that when, when you get phone calls about this, you communicate this. So we don't want six people giving six different advices. So it is important that that team of volunteers are all on the same page, which perhaps because the six of us got to build this line and do it together uh, from the start, we have a really good good teamwork going. Um, but I would invest some time in, you know, in the volunteers and making sure that they are well equipped to do this, are well informed and sort of have all have the same training and experience of, of fostering. Beyond that, I, I have to imagine that what we enjoy doing as volunteers, if that is decreasing the number of calls that have to reach your staff who have the very more much more important roles of getting the kittens out the door and then getting them adopted um, after fostering is done so they can focus on that a little bit more and and give volunteers the the role of um, chit-chatting about kittens i think that's a really um a, a neat way to be efficient and then finally if this then creates a community so we did also create a Facebook page for fostering and volunteering. And we monitor that as well, so that if somebody posts about a, a kitten that's that's struggling, we can give our you know, feedback there as well. And so creating the community at large of fosters, um, if the six of us can start those conversations, um, I think it's a win for everybody. The six of us are in probably in unique situations in that we work from home, we have flexible work schedules, and of course it's nine to nine. So, you know, some of us are morning people, some of us are evening people, and so we are able to cover the line well. But I think that uh, as, as if you give us the tools to be helpful, we want to be. 
And I think, you know, if you already have a group of folks who have been working with you for, for a while, they're probably looking for bigger and better ways to be helpful. And uh, this was just one of them that I feel, um, you know, in addition to actually fostering and helping certain animals, and I can only do a certain number at a time to spread my knowledge so that others are, effect, you know, doing a great job at fostering their animals. I think that's just um, a nice way to use everybody's time and um, help create a community. Well, I have to think that trust is a big part of this. You know, if you had a staff member over your shoulder all day, every day saying, oh, Ranko, Ranko, tell me, what, what was that call? What did they say? What, what did they say back? I mean, it wouldn't be fun, probably wouldn't be very productive or helpful. So, you know, they were able to identify you and others as people who have the passion, have the knowledge, and it sounds like they just let you do it. You can say they can, they just let you do it or they, you know, they just start with a place of trust. And I think that's the same with fostering because I see that, you know, first time fosters are everywhere. Every season there are first time fosters. And as a kitten, you know, as a kitten advocate, I'm sure it's a little bit nerve nerve wracking to give a complete stranger who's never done this before a two week old kitten. Right. But they, they, they base this off of trust that, you know, given the right tools, this person has is going to do what they can to raise this kitten. So we are part of the tools, the toolbox that is given. Here's a phone number that you can call to, you know, ask any question. No, no stupid questions with us. Sorry, there's a dog, dog, uh, news, newspaper situation. Um, but yeah, um, I think that uh, it's it's all trust based. That that every person who takes a kitten home will do the best that they can. And so let's create tools like a mentor line, like a, a emergency line um, to support them. Um, so it's the same concept, right? When uh, the volunteer coordinator comes to us to say, here's, here's the boundary, here's the tool, you know, here's the, the platform you can use and here's what you, we want you guys to do, but we trust you to, to do the right thing. Uh, we do. We we try our best, and when we don't know, we ask. Um, we use uh, we use Microsoft Teams uh, to be able to chat directly with staff. It's a superpower that only the mentors are given, um, and we think that it's super cool that we have a like a bat phone to the staff team at Best Friends um, because it it helps us give the right answer to the foster that's calling, uh, right? So. Yeah, a trust-based uh, environment or culture is what I see here at Best Friends Los Angeles for sure. I'm also uh, a, a big sanctuary fan and I see it there too. And I love that. Assuming that everybody is in it to do their best and in it to save lives, I think if you're trust-based and you give them the right tools, you're going to see success all around. One thing a lot of companies, you know, animal welfare shelters, any industry, not always good about saying thank you right? Being appreciative of, of people's contributions, employees, volunteers. I'm curious how you're recognized for the work, because sometimes that can be the difference between a volunteer staying on, feeling appreciated, and them saying, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to take my skills elsewhere. Best Friends is really, really great at recognizing us as volunteers. Uh, in many ways, I've been recognized um, for my nursery work as as a foster and now as a mentor being able to talk to you, John, like is, 
is a reward for me because I'm a fan of the podcast. And so having the opportunity to, to speak about it on this podcast is, is much more of a reward for me uh, than anything else. You know, in LA, we have the Thousand Hour uh, Volunteer Award, where if you've clocked in a thousand hours of volunteer hours, we get a professional photo taken with an animal of our choice. And so it's like a goal that we have as volunteers and, you know, social media highlights, um, articles, um, and just everyday sort of appreciation that the staff shows to the volunteers, I think is really important. And, um, you know, we're not doing it for that. The reward is so big when you see these kittens grow up and grow healthy and then they get adopted. That alone, like most of us will probably do it even without the support and the accolades and this and that, just because, you know, we love the animal that we're, we're animals that we're trying to serve. But um, I think Best Friends has a great way to then surround that with with all the right infrastructure and tools and support and love and community and, and all of that to make it an, a quote unquote experience, you know. And so I feel lucky to be a part of it. I think I speak for for many of us who are longtime volunteers at Best Friends. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Ronco and all the foster mentors and to volunteers everywhere. We cannot do this life-saving work without you. And don't forget to check out the show notes on your podcast player. You'll find links about the Kitten Foster campaign that's launching this week. We'll talk more about this in upcoming episodes about how you and your organization can benefit, get some much-needed leads on some new foster parents. You can always go to bestfriends.org slash podcast, click on the link for episode number 99, and you'll find all the links and resources there. And thank you to the podcast team, Tawny Hammond, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.